This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends new cartridges before you run out. So you never have to think about ink. For details, visit hp.com slash instant ink Spotify. Conditions apply. Begin transmission. Transmission. The Frontline Gaming Network presents Art of War. Strategy and tactics. Discussions with the best players on the planet. The Frontline Gaming Network presenting Art of War with Nick Nanavati and John Damaris. Hey guys, this is Nick Nadavati, and you're listening to the Art of War podcast. This is part one of our episode with Tony Chu, the winner of the LGT, and I'm here joined today by our co-host, John Damaris. Say hi, guys. Hey, everyone. Hey, guys. Um, so, Tony, why don't you t- take a second and just tell us about your, your list that you took to LGT to get first place? Uh, so, my uh, LGT list was... Uh, Dirty Dirty, Eldar and Dark Eldar. Um, I've been running that for most of this um, this year. Um, and it was based f- firmly in the lands of Flyer Spam, because that's what I've been working on towards ETC for the, the team event. And that's what I ran for the team there. Um, I tweaked it to have more ground units, because um, boots on the ground is a thing in ITC formats, but it's not um, in ETC formats. So it was um, an Eldar spearhead, and I had... Um, a Farseer and Warlock on bikes because uh, the Skyrim just make them so much maneuverable. And then I had a Night Spinner because uh, certain Nanavati have been telling me for so long that they're amazing. Um, and then I had two... Which they um, are. <laughs> <laughs> then I had two um, single support weapon platforms with um, the Death Spinners as well so we have more barrage. Um, and then I've, everything else, um, in that, well, I had two Nightwings in that detachment, another Nightwing and a Flywing along with three Exarchs. And then I went for the classic Dark Eldar Archon with triple Ravagers and double Fighters. And the, really the theme of the list was everything in the list contributes shooting or psychic support. The only chaff, I suppose, is the Archon, and he's still pretty good for the bust that he brings. Um, and I sacrificed CPs. I only went with six. Um, and I saw one of the breakdowns. I think there was only my list and another list that had six CPs in the big list pack. But I think Vect is a bit overrated these days so the list worked really well um against a range of threats uh and allow me just to squeak to the top awesome tony so um i guess as much as this is like your stereotypical flyer spin there are some unique elements to it uh, i don't think i've ever seen anyone take just one night spinner <laughs> flyer spam army usually i see zero or three depending on what's going on and also night wings are i've seen them before but they're very uncommon what kind of sp- spurred these choices for you so the thing with the Nightwings first, I really like them as a flyer because I think they are almost criminally undercosted to go with all the buffs that Eldar flyers get. So they have the Twin Shuriken Cannon and two Bright Lances. Now the Bright Lances aren't actually that accurate unless you're shooting the closest target because you aren't ignoring heavy weapon penalties and the targeted matrix is only shoot that's the closest thing to ignore the penalty. But it's still... I, I, take, I take the chance of six Lances across the three planes hitting on fours. And it's that you can stack... Doom and Jinx on them, where you can't with all the Dark Eldar planes. Um, that that was one of the biggest changes to the game when they said that Dark Eldar can't benefit from the Eldar psychic power buffs. So having 18 shots from the Shurikens that 
Um, get Jinx, get Doom really helps you to clear through hordes quicker and really makes the most of those psychic buffs. And then the individual uh, Night Spinner is kind of the same thing. I took Guide in every game, and that, that I used Doom and Guide, and that was the combos. It was Doom on something, Guide on the artillery, and that just you know, fired away all game and chipped away. I, I, I would be interested to see with three whether they gave me the same kind of offense, whether it was reliable. Because often the rerolls are massive, and some targets, like Marines in cover, they're not, I know it's two damage, but they're not actually that worried because with, unless you rent, just two plus saves. There's no ignore cover mechanic you can easily get into Dark Elf, sorry, into Eldar that isn't a power. So really enjoyed those. And the Nightwings, having a five plus invun uh, most of the game really helps with things like Smash Captains or anything that can fly and get you in combat. Just that chance you'll pass the odd save makes them really annoying and quite good to scream with. I'm, uh, I'm sorry to ask a dumb question, but... It's literally the first time I've ever even heard of a Nightwing. Can you just tell me what that is? Is it like a plane? It's an 138-point Eldar flyer from the Four Drill book. Um, so two Bright Lances and two Shuriken Cannons. And it's got the standard uh, double turn. It's because it's got two fly modes. It, it, and the, the models, they're, they're really old Forge World, but the, I've got three of them. They can, they can swing the wings out. So when they've got their wings in, they get a 5 plus in run. Um, and they can advance a bit further, which you never use. But if you extend the wings, they lose the hard-to-hit bonus, but they can gain plus one to hit against something. And they, at the start of the movement phase, you can completely turn them to face a model in that target unit. So like, you can have your plane facing the complete opposite direction, and you literally spin it to face the target, and then fly, and you can still turn at the end. So when you do play armies like Plague Bearers, Gene Steeler Cult, where they haven't got that much shooting, they're really versatile because you can just be so maneuverable and put really good firepower because they're getting the plus one to hit against that target as well. So 138 points is ridiculous. <laughs> I'm so they're so gonna get nerfed after this. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't actually aware that they were that maneuverable. I mean, they were they're Eldar planes; they can always turn at the end. But I didn't had no idea they could just turn around whenever they wanted. Well, that's you lose the so you lose the minus one to hit from being hard to hit, but you still got a late arc, so you've got minus one anyway, and you lose the five plus in run, but you still get your three plus save that all the other flies have got. So, so yeah, they against still like work the armies really like Gene Steeler Cult and Plague Bears, you know, who cares about your invul? So that's it. Punched. Yeah, yeah. So it means that you're putting eighteen anti-infantry shots and the, and the bright and six bright lances in on Plague Bears, for example, with no modifiers. So then when you stack Jinx, you stack Doom makes them so much more um, versatile against those negative hit modifier units. So they're so good. So I wanted to ask you, you said you pretty much always took Guide and Doom on your Farseer, which a lot of times is a very standard Farseer setup. But in an Eldar playing list, I find most people forego Guide and take Executioner instead just to get 2d3 mortal wounds out there every turn. Um, what was the reasoning behind Guide? Like, yeah, it makes your Night Spinner hit like two more times, but is that really worth 2d3 mortal wounds? It is. I think because I was using the Night Spinner as a kind of aggressive objective holding, and you have to kind of have to always have the ravages in the Archon bubble. So, and you know, the, the other thing with that list, the Far series just usually edging 24. He's never, and I always find that Executioner, I just never seem to get the mileage out of it. I just prefer the extra rerolls. And that for me, that made the Night Spinner really tick over that weekend. So I'd, I'd probably still run with that, to be honest with you. So just to confirm, this is more for my personal self. You liked your Night Spinner, right? 
It's amazing. Yeah, I really like it. Oh my god! <laughs> For those of you who aren't aware of the story, I think so. Uh, Tony and I were both on Team England this past year, playing on the ETC team. And yeah. Tony was flyer spam for England and probably for four months I was like why don't you have night spinners like you're so good you have indirect fire like <laughs> I gave you so much something your planes can't see anything and you have no combat like that's that unit's just invulnerable and now you have night spinners and for months literally months Tony was like nah the crap nah Nick you don't know what you're talking about stick to your Dean <laughs> Steeler cult turns around right after ATC doesn't mention this to me at all I, I only find out once lists are already released at LGT Oh, look, would you look at that? Tony Chu's playing a night spinner. Validated. I just had to dip my toe in the water just to make sure they were bad, and I was really wrong. So there you go. <laughs> That's awesome. So um, what do you, I guess the question on everyone's mind is going to be what happens if flyer spam gets nerfed? Like, do you have any plan for that at all? Like one of the rumors floating around is maximum three flyers total in an army. You have, I believe, eight flyers. So this is clearly very crippling to you. But is there any, like, are you going to try to replace it with grab tanks and stuff like that? Or are you just scrapping the whole concept? Um, the concept started with build a list that doesn't get alpha struck. Um, so you start, I mean, originally it was, my first list was nine planes, 18 rangers, and three characters. Um, but four of those were Dark Eldar. If you go to three play, planes max, then yeah. I'd probably still bring Exarchs. I might go back to looking at things like Hemlocks because then they're really good effective units. And, you know, when you're taking loads of planes, it's just about spam. Um, there's so many good choices in the Eldar book. Whether or not you go back to more mech, I mean, Fire Prisms have done good work for me in the past. I could go up to Triple Night Spinner. <laughs> that is a thing. Um, Music to I, my ears. But, you know, like the, the mech element from the Dark Eldar with the Triple Ravagers is really good. Um, this past weekend, so I really enjoyed that. I think other units like Shining Spears, Dark Reapers, I'd be interested to see if they just keep them at that points level, and they think that's fair. But they still do work as well. Like Shining Spears at the moment, with the rise of Marines coming in with um, you know lots of two with Marines in cover, you need things to dig them out. And Eldar do have a really good toolkit for that. Yeah, um, a lot of high strength, AP minus four, two yeah. damage each, really good against Marines. This is it. So, I mean, you know, I'm not saying you go back to unit you know 27 shining spears because i think i, I, I think they're probably still too brittle without soul burst in the in the current meta but a unit of those for example with the right support is going to be great wave serpents have long been really good for playing the objective game and for blocking units for getting people's faces and tying things up so there's so many options i think it's just going to be more of a more of a met gun line with support is where i'm going to be heading if they if they nerf it in the way that we're rumored to be that's just a really interesting opinion. Most people I, I've been speaking to um, just think Eldar kind of suck without planes. They just feel like the book lacks flavor, and there's not really any anything strong besides planes who have their plane gimmick. So it's interesting to see a, a top-tier player with a dissenting opinion. That's a nice change of pace. Well, yeah. I, you know, I mean, when I first started running the planes, everybody told me it wouldn't work. So uh, it's... I think you just have to play the game your own way, don't you? And uh, everybody else be damned. I'm, I'm sure it'll take a bit of tweaking. I don't think there's, there's not that at the moment. I'll just wait and see. I mean, you know, who's to say what the psychic awakening will bring? We were talking about that before we started recording about the, uh, the new wave of howling banshees and incubi that'll be arriving. So, fingers crossed they bring some buffs with them. I know there's meant to be more banshee powers for the uh, exarchs, for example. So, 
where there's going to be some good combos for the other uh, aspect shrines. That'll be really interesting. Because I think, if, you know, look at the marine depth you can do now. If they put that into Eldar, that'd be amazing. Yeah, I think every book is jealous of marines right now. They're, they have so much depth in that codex. Yeah. Oh, it's like taking it back to 4th and 5th edition, isn't it? Yeah, well, you know, the, the playtesters, a lot of them reminisce about the good old days of 4th and 5th, so I, I feel like they're trying to force the game, you know, in the, in the futuristic version of that, the 2019 version of 5th edition. One thing that's sort of interesting to think about is um, with Marines coming into the meta, I mean, the meta is going to be changed so much anyway that, like, I think a lot of lists are going to have to change regardless. Um, so, like, with that in mind, what kinds of Eldar units are you eyeing to be good in the Marine meta. We've talked about Night Spinners, obviously, but is there anything else that sort of jumps out at you that, that helps in that power armor matchup? I think um, the, all of the artillery options that Eldar have are going to be really useful. And it's think, so things like Hemlocks to bring remove cover so you can remove, you know, annoying units at the back. Shining Spears, so we mentioned already mentioned, because they can lock things up. And yet, so Iron Hands, for example, are going to be a thing. So getting units in to lock them up so they can't just fire at you all game. It's going to be massive. Because even without the nerf to flyers down to three, potentially, I think like Ironhand's gun line with all the rerolls you can give and the, the minus one damage and the influence, it's really tough for the planes to get through. I think you probably lose that attrition more. Yeah, um, especially with uh, Ironhand's having access to f- uh, uh, character dreadnoughts. So like you just can't even shoot them back. Well, this is it. You could, they could be looking at five or six dreadnoughts with a twin last and a missile launcher sitting at the back, just immune for a couple of turns, re-rolling, because now it's re-roll all hits rather than just missed hit rolls. Yeah. They're just, they're getting through your minus twos really quickly. So, I think, if they bring in a nerf to planes, it's a bit of a double-edged blow on top of the buffs to marines. But, um, Dark Reapers, you know, I'll be interested to see if they think that Dark Reapers and Shining Spears are still the same points level, now that right, they're not that soul burst. Design designed for when soul burst was a thing. Yeah. I mean, I, I suppose they are still pretty fairly costed in the meta, but are you, you know, Dark Reapers, far and fading into ruins, actually still pretty good. Yeah. Um, anything that brings two damage, and Eldar have ways to negate your cover, negate your save, um, and to put lots of two damage fiber out there. So that's the way I'm heading at the moment. Interesting. So I had a question kind of relating to your list that you took the other week, which I guess is the topic of the episode. Um, why no hemlocks? I know you had one at ETC, and most flyer spam players typically splash one in um, for like a mobile forward jinx and just the utility of having a different type of profile. What was the thought process there? Joy, I dropped my one for ETC. Um, I dropped it for the, the, the bombers in the Dark Elder detachment. Um, That's so much I know. <laughs> <laughs> when I had it right up till, I think I had it right until the weekend before submission. And then I played a list that had two normal Crimson Hunters. And I think. Uh, coming back to that alpha strike thing my, my thing with the hemlock is it's always in somebody's face and it's the first thing to go down and I, I in previous versions of the fire list I'd used it just to be the only jinx um, source and I'd just I'd sacrifice the, the warlock for more points or utility somewhere else but I just I, I find that the, the damage output it's not worth the cost I'd much preferred an ATC list it was two normal crimson hunters Four shots each at range, minus two. They would survive the game, usually on full wounds. They'd really do damage to mech. Um, the jink, you know what? Jinx, when you want to get it off on an up-close unit, 
I often found with that plane, it was really hard and people would be screening more easily with the denies. And often, actually in my games at the moment, I don't use the Warlock to cast a lot. I just go, you know what? It's probably going to get denied. I use him for the plus one on my Farseer. Um, and getting Doom off on a six, even with the reroll sometimes is difficult. Uh, so that's... I didn't. I just never found I've missed it. I've got two Hemlocks. When I put them in the list, they always seem to do okay. But once I took them out, I found the extra points just went that extra mile elsewhere. I never really looked back. Interesting. Yeah, I could see that. It's like a unit where you take it and you're like, this is good, and then you don't really look at cutting it. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's 210 points each. Like, if you cut it, what what else could you be taking? If you And I guess you asked yourself that question. Well, I mean, that, this, this list was... For, for the LGT was purely how much firepower can I squeeze in? I knew there'd be loads of Marines. I knew there'd be loads of Hordes and ITC. Um, I got to play some Hordes and some Marines, so that worked out pretty well in the end. But and I think the Hemlocks wouldn't have helped me greatly. You know, they don't work. They don't cut through plate bearers at great speeds. You don't really want to put them into Orcs because then you're getting the weird boys back, or you're having to expose yourself. And um, in those games, I actually think they wouldn't have played into the, the way I played those games. Um, yeah. just because they have to be right up front. yeah. And I think you, you touched on a really good point right there. They wouldn't have played into the way you wanted to play those games. A lot of times people, at least top players, will forego taking you know, efficiency-type units or what is considered mathematically superior or meta units, for example, uh, because it just doesn't fit the play style of that player or, or the strategy that the list is trying to do. And you know, knowing your army that intimately, so you can be like, I don't need hemlocks because it doesn't work with my strategy. That's a really, you know, great way of thinking. Yeah, it's it's taken a while though, because they are. I mean, everybody goes, oh, they're great. They're great in the flyer mirror match. They're great against this. They're great against knights. But I just, you know, that they are good units. But like as you said, if, for the the way I wanted that list to play, shooting you at range, being hard to negate, being hard to engage with. They they work much better in that for in that force. So Tony, that let me let me just check for understanding here really quick to make sure I'm following. The reason why the hemlocks came out of the list is in some matchups, you want to sit at long range and force them into minus two to hit, and you still want to be effective, right? Where a hemlock has got like a 16 inch range, so if you're shooting something, people are, you know, not going to have that minus one for the all attack bonus, and it's also going to be in range of a lot more stuff because, uh, you know, like. Bolters, for example, uh, sure they don't do a lot of damage, but uh, way to fire lots of them will definitely put some wounds on those hemlocks where your uh, crimson hunters might just be out of range altogether. I mean that that is exactly it. I mean, so I suppose some players will go, but that's what you want. You want people to pour fire into a hemlock, but it's not a cheap plane at two hundred and ten points um, without an invun. A six plus three on a pain only gets you so far. I I just found that. Having other play, having units further back, having units that didn't have to play right in their face worked out so much better um, in terms of longevity. Yeah, that makes total sense to me. Because like when if you have six, seven planes flying around your backfield doing zigzags, and you have a hemlock sixteen inches away from the other guy going on a one-way ticket, basically, now you're giving his all your opponents all of his smites something to do. Otherwise, they just wouldn't be out of range. You're taking theoretically like four to six damage right yeah. off the bat because you're close. You're also negating your own alien attack benefit because you're literally flying to within 12 inches. So your minus two becomes minus one. And it's just, it's not even that they're shooting your hemlock at an inconvenience to themselves. You're just giving their short range stuff stuff to do. Exactly that. Um, so you mentioned how your warlock um, 
is mostly there to cast the Seer Council strats on your Farseer's plus one on yeah. Doom, which is a strat I often use like all the time when I play Eldar, like, almost every turn, because Doom is that yeah. great. What I found in these armies that want to play a long-range, far-away kind of thing, you're right, your Warlock getting in the woods with an 18 to cast strengths, especially on a t- the target you actually want to cast it on that's probably screened back a little bit, unrealistic or suicidal at best, probably going to get denied, just not worth it. Have you ever considered a Conclave? So you have that 36-inch range strap? Oh, I tried so hard to get a Conclave into this list. <laughs> but then I think like, when you get, we talk about playing top players, people know what it does because they're not characters and they could just be sniped out. I then wanted a Wave Serpent. And that, that came back to my thing with the list where I didn't want any chaff. And I like Wave Serpents. I mean, last year at LGT, my list was really similar. It was three Exarchs and, and three Ravagers and two Fighters. But then I brought... Um, a Supreme Command of Eldar, so I had um, two Autarchs, Farseer, Warlock, or uh, Warlock Conclave, and two Wave Serpents, and that was because it was the Custodes meta, like Custodes were the new thing, so everybody was running like bigger unit of nine, and then smaller units of three, or like you know seven and sixes for the Custodes bikes. Um, so I built a list that was that could take those out quite quickly because Doom and Jinx still worked for Dark Eldar then, um, but this year. Because those buffs only worked to the Eldar side, and because I didn't want any chaff, I just wanted it to be as lethal as possible, I had to make that that choice of where to go. And you know what? I think some games, it helped me be a bit more focused in that I just went, you know what? I can't get Jinx off on that big target. So like in the first game, I played the... Um, oh gosh, what's it called? The Land Raider with the um, Thunderfire Cannon in the hole and the two double... The multi melters. I don't know what it's called. I know what you're talking about. Uh, no clue what it's called. Redeemer. So I played that, and I just went, you know what, I went, I'm just going to ignore it. I just killed everything else. And I didn't put Jinx on it till turn five. But by that point, I killed every other unit on the board, and that's I didn't miss Jinx at all in that game. I just, I just had a question. Um, so you've said a couple times that you've basically went all offensive with your list, so there isn't anything like objective holders like Wave Serpents or Transports or... Um, it's basically everything in your list shoots and contributes to your game plan. Does that help you? Like if you don't go first, for example, so people can't reduce your firepower too quickly, um, it stops the game from tipping over on you, I guess, because uh, you don't always get to go first. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I played, um, I played Blair Horde game two and I played the um, Orcs game three. I didn't go first in either of those games. Um, played GC of the Cult and went second, but that was a choice on my part there. So in all those games, it meant that I could still, didn't matter that they went first. I didn't really lose anything, and I pushed right out and did the damage that I wanted straight away. Um, I didn't have to get things in position or have to re, re, you know, replace. And even things like the support weapons, I know you're saying I haven't got objective holders. Well, because they're the artillery, they're just shooting from out of line of sight on an objective all game. I'd literally just deploy them and leave them. Um, the Night Spinner with Guide could move from objective to objective. And then you've got the Zippy bike characters shielded by planes whilst you're the Archon. And his ravages would usually try and hold that central objective, um, which worked out really well. So, that, yeah, I'm really pleased with that the, the list and how it played out that weekend. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Um, and one of the other things with having those extra, just more efficiency firepower instead of things like wave serpents to try to make you a little tougher for boots on the ground or some aspect like that. Um, you just have more firepower. So even if you go second and you lose two, three planes, even. You're not starting with six and going down to three. You're starting with eight and going down to five. Your turn bottom of one beta strike is going to be about as 
normally about as hard hitting as a normal plane army going first, which is really strong, I think. Yeah, and uh, you know the the six CPs I was worried might come up over the weekend. I really struggled, but again, it's knowing when to. I, I think I used Vect twice over that weekend, and the rest of the time it was just uh, Seer Council, Lightning Reflexes, a reroll here or there. Um, that was that was the gamble. Where before, you know, when I was at ten CPs. I was usually spending one to put a unit of something in reserve. I was at nine. And I just thought to myself, is that three CPs really changing my game plan when I could bring lots more efficiency to the lethality of the list? So, you know, I find the same thing. With Gene's Cult, I think I vected yeah. like once, maybe twice through the entire LGT, like yeah. all 12 games, whatever it was. It's just one of those things that it scares people and it's a good tool to have in your back pocket. But you're not writing your list with that in mind as a strategy you want to use. Like, you're not. You have your CPU budgeted. You have your, I'm going to use these three, four strats over and over again because that's what synergizes with my army. You don't have the budget to just make four go poof to make the other guy wait a turn to use his strat. Yeah. Yeah, so like when I played the orc player, I, I just I had to take his shooting for a couple of turns, but I wanted to vect Grot Shield on the looters so I could kill that unit off because it's such a massive pain if it's there six turns behind a Grot Shield wall. I might as well just ignore it. And it does more damage to me than it's worth. So, you know, that, that, that trade-ups like that, you can accept. But most of the time, like you say, it's the threat of it stops people making a play where they need a stratagem for it to pay off because they don't want to leave a unit hamstrung because it's advanced and now can't assault or it's tried to outflank and can't then do its 3d6 charge, for example. So Yeah. Um, so speaking of which, like, would you find against like smash captains or something of that nature? Would you ever vet like their fight twice or their three six charge, or would you just have to eat it because you only have six CP? With six, I, I, from from painful experience, you have to vet the fight twice depending on how well it it does, because you just can't afford to give him lots of uh, multiple vehicles in the army. Uh, I was lucky actually; I thought not to face smash captains with this list, but then. Well, not Smash Captains with lots of screen anyway, but I think that, that that kind of build suffers a bit more in ITC than it does in kind of ETC and other more traditional games with shop formats. Um, you know, when you've got Maelstrom and combined endgame scoring and progressive and all sorts. And, and the Ravagers were really there just to go, oh, look, there's a Smash Captain. 27 shots. <laughs> so I did face one, but he was only armed with a... He didn't have a Storm Shield, so he died pretty quickly. Oh, uh, yeah. you got to have one of those. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I had another question. I guess I don't remember it. Uh, boots on the ground. Were you ever concerned that your uh, your list was just really vulnerable to being boots? Now it's not crazy vulnerable, like it might appear for the, those listening, because as much as it's like three ravagers and night spinner and two rinketing shadow weavers, remember those guys hide out of line of sight. Presumably the night spinner does too. Um, and then the archon, the farcy are obviously characters who also don't mind hiding out of line of sight, so they're not really. They're never really in danger of dying. So how did you feel, Tony? Did you feel like you were okay with that? I, I did until I played the Genie Steel Occult player game four, and he got me down to a Farseer on three wounds. <laughs> and he killed wow. everything else. Yeah, exactly. And I had to boost that Farseer onto the middle level of a massive ruin in the center of the board. And I just positioned it perfectly so he couldn't quite charge me. He couldn't quite shoot me. He was like... Damn it! I think you've escaped because <laughs> I in that one I, I'd I had I'd played GC the cult before, but I'd I'd made a mistake. I'd left one of those artillery pieces where the flamer bomb could flame it off, make a hole, and then a rock saw unit came in, tagged some stuff, and then 
my counter charge completely fluffed, and like my archon died on his second shadow field save. So my holding that unit up completely yeah. fluffed, and I was like, okay, great. And my whole ground support just collapsed. Um, but luckily, I'd got up enough on my secondaries early enough, and I could just hide the farce. And that turn, I did the planes did clear everything off I needed to, so I could just survive and then hide all game yeah. in the back. I'm surprised you even let him charge your your Shadow Weaver. Now, I know you were saying, like, he flamed it off with the flamers and charged through the hole. But I'm surprised you like weren't you have eight planes and three ravagers. How is that not just screening enough for you? Uh, I was happy to have the flamer bomb in, but I thought I'd measure. It was a mistake on my part in terms of measuring. I was like, ah, I left in too much of a gap that he can get to this support weapon and make a big enough gap to get a rock mm-hmm. unit in. So I thought I'd had it covered. And I think if I had to play it again with the exact, I wouldn't need to change the list. I could just deploy better and have. The weapons in the corner, the night spear in front, the ravagers in front of that, yeah. and then planes. The list is is mobile enough. I can do that. So that that nearly bit me in the backside. Um, and James, the guy I played with, Juicy Call, is a very good player. As soon as I gave him the sniff of a chance, he was straight in there. Yeah, um, I was really close. And that's that's probably one of the closest games of the weekend. That one. Yeah, for sure. I know personally at London. You- I did not want to play your flyer spam. I felt like it was just way too much stuff for me to handle. Those extra points you put into real guns and ravagers and things instead of night spinners and wave serpents. Like, that was just too much for me. Um, Because my call, you know, can actually handle planes. I have a bunch of mining lasers and stuff like that. But I cap out around seven is where I can handle it before I just start getting tabled. And, of course, you brought eight and three ravagers. (laughs) Yeah, and things like the night wings then, like the the five plus infant against the mining lasers is really useful. The reposition yeah. moves, you know, can be really annoying late game because you can just suddenly go, oh, I do need to get to back into the table corner, fly straight over. Um, I was disappointed in myself in that game because, you know, you don't want to make a mistake in any game. But game four of the tournament, I was like, please don't let me throw this away because I've made a mistake with that one support weapon. That was so frustrating. Yeah. <laughs> it's so frustrating. Like, some players make mistakes all over the place and Dice will bail them out. And then when you're the guy making the mistake and you're like, it's such a small mistake and this is going to cost me the whole thing. It's such a... It's heartbreaking. Oh yeah, but it was. But I mean, that was a great game. We didn't. We didn't have any time issues, and we were. And it was. We could both. You know, one of those games where you both understand what's going on, and we were both. Yeah. Could see. Oh, this is going to be really big, and I just, I just escaped with my farce. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you know what? I actually found that was the case with almost all of the games I played at London. It's just everything was so above the table. It's just you know this is what's happening, and very friendly, very spirited, and everyone just knew what was up. It was very nice. The UK tournament scene, I think, has gone through a real transition in the past kind of 12 to 18 months to have a much better um, atmosphere. And there's a very much an open approach to talking about how yeah, your game is played. Yeah, the open approach was a welcome change. Not that you won't find that in America, but not everyone in America plays that way. Every single game I played in the UK did that. Yeah, I, th- I think that's how people want to play the game. And if you don't play it like that, I think people people hear about you very quickly. Do you know what I mean? It's a because we're just, it's not, the UK is not a massive country. The, the tournament scene here is big, but it's still not hundreds of thousands of people. It's, yeah. and you know, if you go to all the main big cons in the country, you're going to see the same guys. London was very much a bounce from table to table saying, oh, hey man, how are you? Nice to see you. Yeah. Even in a field of like 400 people. Right, absolutely. You know, I'm from a different country and I recognized half the people there. This is it, so. Yeah. That's something worth focusing on, right? Like the Wargaming community is small and uh, if, and I found this in the War Machine and Hordes uh, wargaming that I did. If somebody 
was not a good opponent or um, was not open with their information like they should be, in my opinion. Like they quickly got a reputation and then they kind of become known for that. And then people just, you know, watch are on the watch out for it. You know what I mean? So I don't know. It's one of those things. I don't think it's worth it. Like, I don't think you get a big enough advantage by being shady or uh, even like withholding information to offset what it does to your reputation. And then what happens, like people just won't give you an inch on anything. Absolutely. Like it's winning a tournament is not worth the cost of being shunned from a community basically. And that's something some players have struggled with, but you know, as those players get weeded out because they're getting shunned, you know, yay. We have a positive, healthy community again. I mean, I think social media, you don't want to get into the um, witch hunts and people getting branded about and, you know, this person did this or, you know, we should um, chase them down. But equally, if somebody blatantly does something repeatedly all the time, it's going to come up. Uh, you can't just hide and go, oh, that wasn't me or that didn't happen. Or You've got to, you've got to play the game in the right way. It's a game of toy soldiers. You know, uh, unless you're with the ITC, you're not winning thousands of pounds every single time you play a game. It's more for the kudos and the challenge, but then that's at least why I play. So, well, even if you win the ITC, you don't win thousands of pounds. That's <laughs> you <need> a measurement. <laughs> just speaking pers- well, personally, probably now it is. <laughs> I was just, I was going to say, just speaking personally, like I want to win, but I want to beat you because my strategy was executed better than your strategy. I don't want to win because. I cheated because that's not winning. And then you yeah, don't, I, like, agree. I couldn't agree more. You don't get a, yeah, a uh, it's a matter of pride. I want to win because I beat you, not because I technically won. Yeah, yeah. exactly. With two asterisks. I do, I do have another question, Tony. Um, I noticed that you've got those like two spinner weapon platform thingies. Um, yeah. Obviously, they were there to spell out the spearhead, right? Uh, but I wondered, wondered how effective they were for you. Like, is that something Eldar players should be looking at to use or? So I, I've actually got I own nine of those. Um, I used I've used nine vibra cannons before. Um, I haven't used nine of the artillery, but I've seen it used. And I think on mass they're pretty good with an autark, and you can stack doom. Um, arguably because it, they're they're quite tough, um, and it's the equivalent for especially with alien talk and all that. Yeah, yeah. So that you know the vehicles. Um, it, they put out good firepower. They don't need line of sight, so you can hide them. They, they, they don't fly, which is the big thing, and that did that's, nearly that's bite really me. That's the only thing that holds them back. They're they're actually very points efficient as far as durability, range, and output. Yeah. I thought using mine before, but again, the Eldar is an army designed around just avoiding problems by flying, and they don't work with that strategy at all. I don't know how many I'd go in a list. Oh, sorry, just because. I, I think there's lots of armies that want to put big hordes and blobs in your in your face. Assuming that flyers go down in terms of how many you're allowed to take, it's going to be harder and harder to screen those kind of units. So, um, like when I used, I mean, sorry, it was eight Viber cannons I've used before. They were great because they'd actually move forward and they were a bit annoying and they'd be out in the open, putting loads of extra anti-tank firepower forward. Um, but I'd be interested to see how nine would work if they do nerf flyers. Because they do need protection. Yeah, I think you would have to start supplementing that with like swooping hawks or something to try to be a, a flying screen. Yeah, definitely. Just to make sure I understand, the big issue being um, getting one of those wrapped by an assault army is kind of a disaster for Eldar. Is that right? Oh yeah, because well, you just yeah, you you charge. There's no Overwatch from this. The, you know, a, a shrug catapult and a D6 shots 
yeah, and then you just tag one, tag a couple of units, and that's it. They're all locked, and you you could because there's quite big models still. You can lock a big chunk of an elder army's backfield, assuming they've got them all close together, because you've got you want to have the maximum buff from the autark, and you want to have uh, more hiding in terrain. Right. Interesting. So, um, your army is obviously one designed around just flying around and shooting the crap out of the other guy not dying and then worrying about objectives later or just doing minimalist objectives until the other guy's dead. So what kind of units do you try to prioritize and how do you deal with things that can't really be shot or not effectively, like the cloud of flies, lurk in the shadows, those types of stratagems, mask characters using the character keyword abusively. Since you don't have any assault or anything and very minimal mortal wound output, like how do you deal with that? So um, in terms of priority, it's, the thing that's going to damage the planes most, on, unless there's like a you know a stupidly fast assault unit like um, gene stealers that can move and advance you know twice, for example, in a turn or have a swarm lord bonus. Generally, it's the things that damage planes first, and then you work down from there. So if there's units I can't hit, if there's units I can't hit, I'll, I'll try and I'll try and screen them out with the plane sometimes, or sometimes I'll just go right. Well, what? Where do you want to move to? And I'll put planes in that spot so it's more difficult for them to approach that. So, you know, if you're trying to get a Cloud of Flies unit into the center board, I'll just try and put things in the way so it's more annoying. Maybe you don't come that far forward. Um, I think that's a, that's a fantastic tactic. You just brought up in one that's super high level that we should definitely go in depth on. Yeah. Um, the FAQ that came out back in March basically meant that planes can't move block in theory because enemies that can just walk through a plane base can pop out the other side, ignoring that one-inch rule. How... Can you just explain how you're still move blocking with planes? So the, the important thing there is to understand how far your opponent's units move, how far they advance, can they advance and charge, and you've got to plan that out because units still need coherency. They can't be trailed across your base. And then you've just got to you've got to know. You've got to look at that unit. And, and you can ask your opponent. Most people will be able to tell you, yes, it moves this far. And it just means that you're a little bit further back with the planes. But also you can look at where you want them, where they want to move with that unit and block it off. Planes can still block levels. Planes can still block off entry to pieces of terrain. But, you know, just staying at the edge of that unit's advance, and it just keeps them in the open for that extra turn or stops them being where they want to be. So you have to be a bit more clever in terms of where you move and you're measuring. But as long as you know those values, you can still, you know, um, what's the word? Coerce these units to go into the right places and kind of drive them into the right corners. It's especially good against horde units, right? Because, like, imagine you have 30 playbears or 30 orc boys. They can move six and roll six-inch advance, theoretically. And, you know, your plane base is only, like, four inches wide, so, like, you can't block a 12-inch move, potentially. But you can, you can park the back of the plane 11 inches in front of the unit, and the front of the plane will be, like, four inches from there, so seven inches from the unit, and you've basically taken away that unit's ability to advance because it'll end up stuck in your plane. And you do that with three or four planes, all of a sudden this orc unit went from moving 12 inches to moving six or something like that. Yeah, and that, I mean, I played like the 142 playbearer list, and that was one of the ways that I helped play that one. I could put things in certain spots or, or throw a plane in the backfield that would next turn be annoying for a character for a sport unit, so another unit might have to come back and screen because um, not always do these units. They're not always used for offense. Sometimes they're screening the characters or the key support pieces as well. So often it's the planes that give you that flexibility. Eight planes where they've got lots of different types of firepower. They don't really know which one's going to do that. I suppose that brings us a bit back to the, the hemlock role. Like when the hemlock 
is in your list. Everybody just thinks of it as a character sniper, and they're always really paranoid about the hemlock. And you've got lots of these planes that put up um, lots of, I'd say, good to middle strength firepower. People don't expect it. So in my orc game, I managed to snipe the big mech with the shock attack gun turn five or six. Turn six it was, because he'd left a gap where I could put the plane behind him and just unloading him. And that got me a point for old school, which got which ended up probably being very influential. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, for those of you who didn't know, Tony won LGT by one battle point. <laughs> so Yeah, that's cool the one. Thanks that org player. Buy him beer next time you see him. That's the one. Thanks very much, man. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think Tom would appreciate that. But um Yeah. No, that that that's it. You have to you have to just kind of I suppose do kill the things you can really in a list like this because the list is so lethal. If you kill everything else, eventually that cloud of flies unit or whatever, it's gonna be a target. Um, and it, it, if you kill the support units, people panic. People take risks with something where they don't need to. So p- pressure in the right places really helps. So I guess the same principle would apply to like mass smash captains or something like that. Just like a bunch of characters that you don't want to get near. Oh, completely. Yeah. It, it's well, the mass, mass smash captains is a bit of a, a problem. You have to kill the screen. You can't let them control the board and have the flexibility to go wherever they want. Um, but again, people take one or two smash captains these days because they want the flexibility. My nightmare as a plane player is a list that's like three or four fly characters or three smash captains and a flying uh, librarian dreadnought. That, I think, is a really strong counter to these plane heavy builds because they're so easy to hide, so easy to hide in terrain. Other units screen them. Um, and then you look at some of the strats that come out in the new Marine books. It's so easy to buff. It's crazy. So I definitely I want to cover your individual matchups in part two um, for the patrons. And I, I'll definitely cover like how you're going to adjust what's going on with new Marines. But is there any rough changes that you think you'd implement like now after playing LGT or anything? Like maybe more stuff for boots on the ground, triple night spinners because Nick says they're awesome, <laughs> anything like that? Do you know what? I, I actually wouldn't change the list i think it did everything i really wanted it to and that that sounds a bit cocky but it it really did play exactly like i hoped it would and if anything the firepower was better than i thought it was going to be so that 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 mistake against the gc the cult player nearly cost me but that was my mistake yeah. and i think that that it's it's you know i was lucky to come up with that win still but that will stick in my mind forever when I play cool. Right, you won't make that mistake screening. Yeah. yeah, that's it. And that's- I was actually at the GT. I was worried you and I were going to play round five right after you played James <laughs> with the cult. And I was yeah. like, damn, James has just taught Tony everything he needs to know about this match. <laughs> that was it. So um, he did do me a special training session just in case I played you, but yeah. it wasn't to be. So uh, before we move on, I guess... One question I had is at ETC you had Void Raven bombers and you found like they were really useful for a death watch because they're like ten man squads. You can put seven ish mortal wounds on them every time you fly over, bypass those annoying storm shields, or plague bears trying to get them below twenty guys before you start laying into them with the rest of your shooting. Did you miss not having the, the Void Ravens or anything like that? The Razor Wings were okay. I did miss the Void Ravens, but it, the, finding the 60 points in that list, because I'd taken a list with no with no um, kind of frills on it. Like you were saying, there's no assault in there. Like I couldn't even give the Archon a better weapon than a Venom Blade. It's kind of, it, it was so tight. I would have had to drop the Night Spinner. I did consider taking just three um, little support weapon platforms, 
um, and using the points to upgrade the, the fighters. But I thought just for flexibility, having an extra grav tank and survivability for boots on the ground would be a little bit better. And I do try to minimize the amount of non-fly units I have um, in my Eldar list because I think, as we, as we said before, with John, getting locked in combat is such a killer for this list. It's got no way to clear out a horde unit. It's got no way to stop them fighting in your turn and then reassaulting again. So yeah, that makes sense. There's just no good. fat. And the, like you said, like for you to really work it in, it's cut the night spinner and cut a flyer. And I guess cutting a flyer would be completely out of the question. So I don't even know why I brought that up. No, well, I mean, I, I, I told, my ETC list has nine, um, and I had just told you to bring in a slight tweak to that with some because you could take the index options for London. But I wanted, like I said, I wanted something that worked with the London terrain a bit more lethal um, and brought in just a lot more efficiency for the points. So I was pleased with what that I ended sense. up. Now, at DTC, you also had a Guardian bomb, um, 20 Guardians with two platforms. And you, I remember, I thought that was a mistake in your ATC list, and you said you loved them. Um, so why have they been cut in favor for the Night Spinner? So actually, I, th I think I traded them for the Ravagers because I wanted... They were there to go, okay, here's a horde unit, here's Doom and Jinx, here's 40 shots, we're on to hit, we're on to wound. Um, you know, we guide on them as well. The support weapons, if I need protect on my unit, then I can make the unit really annoying with support weapons. I can put the 4 plus invon strat on them. So they had all the tools there. I did consider bringing them in this list, but I didn't have the CPs to make them really tick. And so I thought, that's probably not worth it. And the Ravagers as well. Again, for Marines and Cover, Strength, if, if you, even with Jinx and with Doom sometimes, those shurikens can bounce because you can have Marines on a, a 3 plus, 4 plus save and cover isn't great. So I decided the Ravagers with the strength 5 minus 3 and the 2 damage was the big thing. 2 damage on Primaris yeah, is not a thing that they enjoy trying to counter because they can transhuman 1 unit to um, half the damage but then you just put your firepower elsewhere. Um, so they were... That was the trade-off, and I think that, that worked really well. It's actually really interesting. So, like, the Guardians probably would be fine if you were playing more battalions and had more CPs available to you, but since you had cut down to six CPs, they suddenly became not a good option. It's not something that it would... Continue. Yeah, I think I could have played with six or seven planes and with the same kind of support units and had the Guardians in there, but I would have wanted to chop something to get the extra battalion choices, and then it's adding more chaff in. And I was, and again, it, I just think the guardians need CPs to make them tick. It almost makes the guardian unit not just cost one ninety; it almost makes them cost three ten, cost the two ranger squads also, because you're bringing them only to make the guardians work. This is it. I mean, so like, like Manny, um, who came second, ran three guardian units, but he ran them with like one sport weapon at like fifteen each, so he had a bit more flexibility across the three. Um, and I quite liked that as an approach. Because I think Guardians are very point-sufficient troops. Because, you know, when they're not Yunari and they're moving and advancing and you're not suffering the penalties to shoot, much more efficient um, in terms of flexible in terms of you moving, you can quicken them if you need to, so you can catch people out with threat ranges. So I did miss that unit. like really tough to kill if you put Protecting Fortune on them also. Oh, they're so frustrating. Uh, you Three know. up Envol if you want pain on 20 guys, two up armor on the cannon. Oh my god, it's like shooting Death Watch. Well, ATC, I had a a um, protected lightning reflex, four plus invun, go to three plus invun, uh, guardian blob in cover <laughs> in one game. Um, and the guard player wasn't enjoying that. So, because I just, I just ate all of his artillery shots. 
Yeah. Back in the days when I played Inari, I always said like one guarding in blob will table two thousand points of tau. Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? The firepower you can get out of that unit with with all the buffs. Yeah, but... I think all you have all the buffs to make it work, of course. Yeah. Awesome. Um, so I think um we kind of covered everything I want to cover for this episode. We talked about what direction Eldar is going to go if flyers do get nerf batted. Um, never. <laughs> never. Please, please, tomorrow. And all that. For those of you, I guess it's a little too late to say this, but this recording obviously happened pre-FAQ nerf, so if we drop this episode for the FAQ nerf, sorry. Um, or maybe there's no nerf at all, and then we're just talking. Yeah, no worries. Anyways, John, do you have any questions? No, no, I think we covered it pretty well. And, and Tony, thank you for talking about your list. It was interesting. Um, I found it particularly enlightening, um, learning uh, sort of some of the downsides to having things that can be wrapped and and talking about um, getting maximum efficiency out of your list. So, like, everything in your list kills things. And it's a really well-oiled machine. Well, it's 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 been like a twelve months of practice to get it there, and it, you know it might not do the same thing in the ETC format, but um, the terrain at London's a big thing, and the choices in that list as well, because it's actually yeah. You just reminded me there is something I want to cover. Yeah, go move on. How does your format and terrain impact your decision with this type of list? Obviously, at London, you knew it was ITC missions, and you knew there was going to be exactly that terrain. Two L's in the middle, four out, four small ruins in the corners, and that's it. ETC is obviously very different. Missions and terrain, or what if the terrain's unknown? How does all that vary? Dear, massively impacts it. Um, I'm, I'm sure you're not surprised to hear that. If, if I if I know the four terrain, I really will consider that with our list writing, For, because London was the same format. So the four little L's and the two big L's in the middle. That was what they had last year. And even though some of the terrain wasn't finished last year, functionally, it did the same job. So I knew going in, and, you know, obviously they did the measurement maps this year so you could play it at home, practice with it. Um, I knew exactly what it would look like, and I played on it before. And it was massive in terms of my list choices because I knew that whilst there was lots of terrain on the board, a lot of it wasn't actually functionally line-of-sight blocking because the fire lanes from one end of the board were massive and i was bringing units that could all move at least 14 inches or just ignore the line of sight so i knew that i could get the fire range right down the end of the board to the unit i wanted to shoot and so that was again a bit a big choice in going well you know what i'll get rid of the tricks and i'll just go for shots and firepower and i'll win the game by just pummeling you turns one two and three and then i can chase the bonus points and the extra points so it's four five six um, in other tournaments where I don't know the terrain or I know it's going to be varied, I think I would go back to things like the Guardian Bomb and the Bombers because you need to have the tools to be able to fight on the terrain that you're going to, you're going to play on. It might be a sparse board, you need to hide. It might be a heavy board, and you need to really get stuck into those units and hiding in cover. So please the choices for this one because it obviously paid off, but that it's a massive choice in terms of how you build for the tournament. Do you look at the terrain and the missions? And I think, yeah, you have to if you really want to get on the top of the podium. Yeah. So obviously terrain matters a ton for a gunline flying base list. How about uh, like if you're playing potentially at LVO and they, you know, not every table's got magic boxes, but some do. And you're, you can't really interact with magic boxes. How would that impact you? So for that one, I would be considering tweaks to include more artillery. It might have to be a plain sacrifice. I might have gone back to some, some of the Eldar infantry characters just to be able to put something into terrain and clear out those small units. Um, certainly, Unite Spinner then is a bit yeah. more valuable. Makes a lot of sense. Shooting into the boxes. 
Um, and does mission format factor in at all? Not terrain specifically, but like ITC's kill more, hold more concept with secondaries or ETC, anything like that? Yeah, well, this uh, so for this list, the ITC kill more, hold more. I always figured that I wouldn't be able to hold more straight away, but I definitely kill more. And that was true of every game. Uh, I was able to just hide all my squishy units. I mean, because of the big hills in the deployment zone, I'll, I even just the L-shaped wounds at all, if I could hide Ravagers pretty much. Um, so worked, that worked really well. Um, and then hold more I'd, I would get because the Ravagers would move around. I'd be moving the Night Spinner forward. I'd have the characters going forward. For ETC, I think you have to have a bit of everything in the list. Again, that's why a lot of ETC lists are more all-comers. Because you want some games you're going to have to do progressive scoring, some games you have to clear people off objectives, and Maelstrom is such a big factor in ETC formats. Um, like it or love it, sorry, love it or hate it, you've got to be able to deal with the fact you've drawn cards all over the board or you need to suddenly get recon. Um, the planes do a lot of work in those missions though, because they can score things like behind enemy lines or um, you know, recon things in ITC. So I do think that. A more balanced list in ETC format is works, whereas in ITC you can go with a bit more of a skew and go, that's the way I want to play the game, and hope that you know you can you can enforce that on your opponents. Interesting. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I found something very similar. So I guess for ETC you would go back to like the Guardian Bomb, not necessarily knowing the terrain every mission, and then you need something more well-rounded to just be functional. In ITC, you need to go with artillery because you might hit some magic boxes and then here, where you, everything was a known quantity, you just built the list and, and did it. Yeah, and, and here, because it, again, because it was I knew the terrain, I, knew, I bought units of artillery that I could hide. So the support weapons, I knew I could hide them at deployment. I knew in every mission, every deployment, I could put them out on a site. Um, and I'm sure we'll see more whirlwinds and thunderfire cannons and green flyers as the, the book gets kind of picked apart over the next couple of months. But for the moment, it was lots of the Phobos dreadnoughts and the Sniper, Eliminator, Primaris. So it was easy to hide my units against those. Um, right. And again, things like the five wound artillery pieces, that's much more survivable than five rangers. So they weren't easy to pick off. Toughness five vehicles in cover. They're fearless. Yeah. They don't care. Maybe uh, three up armor, right? So two up in cover? Uh, no, so they're four up. It goes oh, to three four up. up goes to three up. Okay. But they're still... The toughness five just makes them that just a little bit more tough, a little bit more they're annoying. Not like mortars and a wizard. Yes, that's the one. Yeah, and they're still a latox, so they're still annoying to just chip out of cover. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Well, I think that just about covers it for episode one. What do you think, John? I think that's great. So uh, I just wanted to really say quickly that uh, if you like this episode, you should come find us on the Frontline Gaming Network, where you can find other uh, like-minded competitive Warhammer 40k uh, podcasts. Um, you can find them frontline gaming on just about every podcast aggregator there is so pretty much if it's been invented they're they're there including youtube so come find us give us a like or a review we'd appreciate it and uh we'll talk more soon yeah and if you guys like the discussion you want to hear more um i teach classes every week of this kind of stuff and knights of the game table pro one on general 40k one on eldar one on xenos one on imperium and one on chaos I also do one weekly live stream battle report. So just like Hellstorm Gaming streamed and commentated the matches from LGT, you can check me out. I stream and commentate my own games while I'm playing them live so you guys get to know exactly what I'm thinking and why I'm doing what I'm doing. Same for my opponent, what he's doing, what he's doing. Get the full picture of our brains. That way you can kind of emulate that in your own practice and your own tournament matches. 
Um, lastly, I do a weekly meta-analysis called Meta Monday. So every Monday I'll hop on Facebook Live and just chat about past weekend's tournament results like the LGT or any upcoming or new releases like the thousands of Space Marines, this new FAQ, all that stuff. And not only just review it, but also explain what that means for how you guys need to build armies moving forward. So check that out, knightsofthegametable.com. And Tony, is there any place they can find you? <laughs> um, on the, so if you go into search on the Team England 40k community, if you're, you are English and you're interested in getting involved with the, the Team England squad for the next year's ETC, um, if you just drop us a message through that, we can direct you where to go. Awesome. Well, there you guys have it. So this was Art of War 40k. Uh, let's check us out for episode two on our Patreon, and I'll see you guys later. Like the strategy discussion you heard? Want to hear more about the tactics of this list? Sign up for our Patreon at aow40k.com, where we go deep into details of optimal play. This has been Art of War, a strategy and tactics podcast for Warhammer 40k. Hosted by Nick Nanavati and John Damaris. Produced by Seamus Ronan. Find us at AOW40K.com. And of course, connect on Facebook. Just look for AOW40K. 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 Till next time.